Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, November the 28th edition, the Thanksgiving edition. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to preview Dolphins and Eagles coming up on Sunday. We'll lock it up, and I'll go over another mock offseason I conjured up earlier this week. Plus, we have updates on Jakeem Grant. Eric Rowe, some other roster moves, and I'll tell you why I'm sick of the Josh Rosen questions. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, get us back into that top 200 on Apple Podcast, top 100 on Spotify. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the written preview of Dolphins and Eagles. We've got a busy show. We always do. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. We talked about it briefly on the podcast on Wednesday, but I just did not have enough time to go into detail about the contracts of Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson, two receivers who one of them's definitely not going to be back next year. I think both of them could be gone in 2020. We start with Jakeem Grant, who was added to injured reserve on Wednesday. His season now comes to an end. He's been injured pretty much every single year of his career. And the interesting aspect of this is, yeah, Jakeem Grant did get a contract extension this season, which paid him handsomely this year and good for him for getting that. But the next three years of the deal, 2021 through 2023, there's an out at the end of the season, which would create $1.8 million in dead cap and get the Dolphins off the hook for $4 million bucks in cash next year, $4.3 million bucks in cash in 2022, and $4.5 million in cash in 2023. Is Jakeem Grant worth that? Because at this point, he's basically the best return man in football and gives you almost nothing on the offensive side of the ball from a production standpoint. And there are a few bigger fans of Jakeem Grant when he's healthy and when he's going and when he's involved in the offense. We just haven't seen it through four years, so you have to wonder, will he be back given the out in that contract? You have to think they put that in there to protect themselves for something like this. One, him getting injured, and two, him not being productive. So I think we could see the end of Jakeem Grant in Miami at the end of the season. Albert Wilson, he's still playing. He's going to be healthy, but he is owed $9.5 million next year. There's an out in the contract that will cost Miami just $1.3 million in dead money. I There's no feasible situation I can see Albert Wilson coming back next year for $9.5 million makes absolutely no sense. I think he's definitely going to be on the outs. So other news, this one came in from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald that Eric Rowe, the safety, just one day after I suggested on the podcast, you guys listening out there in Dolphins land? I hope so. Eric Rowe could be in line for an extension since he moved to safety, 28 tackles, nine of those for run stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. He only missed three tackles over that six game 
stretch, and he's allowed 12 receptions on 25 targets. That's 48% completion for 113 yards. That's 4.52 yards per target. You guys will recall I gloated rather about Devontae Parker's 13 yards per target in the game last Sunday, so he has reduced that down to one-third in his coverage throughout the course of a month and a half playing safety. He's played really well, and this really solidifies the idea to me that they want safeties who can come down and cover as cornerbacks in the slot out wide. That's what Bobby McCain does. That's what Eric Rowe does. That's not what Rashad Jones does, and you get the idea of where they're going. Again, Barry Jackson mentions this in the article up on the Miami Herald, and in that article, he mentions the desire to roll out both Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain as the primary safeties in 2020, and my issue there would be the lack of a true deep middle of the field, center field type of safety. I don't think McCain is that, but remember, this scheme will sometimes use a third safety as the fifth defensive back. It's not always a cornerback. In New England, they use three safeties plenty of times with two perimeter corners, and that could be the case here with McCain and Rowe, and you are ultimately flexible between corner and safety with both those guys. It allows you to better disguise your coverage, bring guys down and cover up and press coverage in the slot on the outside. And to me, this kicks the door wide open for the guy I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks from Utah, Julian Blackman, two-time All-Pac-12 cornerback that moved to safety for his senior year. He'll be at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama in January, and he has done nothing but take the football away. He is an interception machine back there. He covers sideline to sideline, and three safeties that play 60% of the snaps or more in this scheme. I'd be okay with taking this route in a year where you have massive pressing needs all over the roster, and the best thing of all of this is that Eric Rowe in the article on the Miami Herald from Barry Jackson said that he likes it here, but you know, the whole morally reprehensible thing, I guess, gets clicks and gets views. So, hey, go do that. On that topic, a couple of more roster notes. The Dolphins promoted Isaiah Ford, the receiver, back to the active roster off the practice squad. He'll be in the lineup on Sunday, and replacing him on the practice squad is receiver Terry Wright. And let's go ahead now and make a hard pivot and lock it up. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. And this week's lock of the week is that Mike Gesicki going up against a defense that rarely uses linebackers pretty much at all. We'll talk about that in the game preview in the next segment. My lock of the week for the week 13 game against the Philadelphia Eagles is that Mike... Please tell me you guys heard that. That was the rebuff of the video I just played from Wedding Crashers where he says, that was my first Asian. So that got on the podcast. Back to Mike Gesicki. What a hard transition that is. The lock of the week is that Mike Gesicki will moss somebody in this game going up over the top on a 50-50 ball that gets played on all the highlight shows. But of course, given my lock record for this year, that means it won't happen. So take that as you will. But you know a lock that is going to happen, something that I've mentioned several times and something that I continue to field questions about on Twitter. No, 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 no. Josh Rosen is not going to be the starting quarterback in 2020. You know why Brian Flores sighs every time people mention Josh Rosen at his press conferences? It's because Rosen doesn't know how to evaluate a defense in real time. He gets to the line of scrimmage and does not know what he's seeing, identifying the Mike linebacker, and keeps the offense in a bad play without the freedom to make checks because he's not picked up the offense at that level. It didn't happen in OTAs, it didn't happen in training camp, and it didn't happen in September and October when he played, and I was told by a beat writer that he, the beat writer, was having a conversation with Ryan Fitzpatrick before practice, and someone made a joke about Rosen audibling, and Fitz lets out a major belly laugh as if to say, yeah, okay, sure. 
sure. Good luck with that. This offense thrives on the power of the quarterback, IDing what he sees at the line and making adjustments accordingly. That is why he's not playing and he's not gotten better in that regard. So with all due respect, just please quit asking. I mean, I will answer, but you know, just help me out a little bit here. Speaking of helping each other out, I've been trying to help you guys out by telling you about the great offer from MyBookie for today. Attention, past, present, and future MyBookie players for this week only, and the offer expires today, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears and Lions game, Mitch Trubisky and David Blau, baby. Hell yeah. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to 250 bucks. If you win, boom, you've got extra holiday cash. If you lose, also boom, because my bookie will give you all of your money right back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code locked on, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for today only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team fins up this season with mybookie.ag where you play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, it may be a down year out on the Palouse for the Washington State Cougars, but Friday is the Apple Cup, and that is the biggest game on the schedule every single year. Seven straight losses, but this time around, up in Seattle, a six-and-a-half-point dogs, probably the Cougs' best shot to knock off the Huskies who are having a down year behind Jacob Eason and Chris Peterson up there. Let's go ahead and get that one, Cougs. Hopefully they can deal with the power of the Washington State run game and the defense that manhandles our front every single year. And speaking of power, I lost power at my house before I recorded this podcast, getting this done very late on Wednesday night, way later than I originally anticipated getting this thing done so I could hang out with the wife. But we lost power and I had to come upstairs and write in the dark. Just another reminder of how grateful I am for technology and electricity and all the fun stuff that we enjoy because, man, those three hours were lame without any electricity or power. We basically had to sit there and just do nothing. Like, what do you do without power? It's it's crazy to think about when it happens. But the weather here has just been horrible, windy, snowy. Get me to Miami, man. But the good thing about it is that Thanksgiving is today. And I did want to kind of open up here a little bit regards to a tweet that I sent out earlier in the week. Thanksgiving is by far the best holiday. I've always loved Thanksgiving because football, family, and food. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Well, in recent years, I've talked about this before, but let's go ahead and dive in a little bit deeper. It hasn't been the same because my mom passed away four years ago, and she was really the rock of my entire life, the person in my life that I depended on for most everything. My dad moved out at a young age. We don't have a relationship. And so losing her basically left my brother and I with almost no family because aunts and uncles and grandparents don't live here either. So it just, we kind of got isolated by ourselves. But that's where my wife came in because I met my wife just a couple of weeks before my mom passed away. And ever since then, she's really made Thanksgiving better 
better for me. And it's such a great holiday to be able to just sit on the couch and watch football and just be full of debauchery and gluttonous behavior and football. That I mentioned the football, lots and lots of football. So I hope all of you guys enjoy your wonderful weekend, your wonderful holiday, and spend the time with the ones you love the most and have a happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving from us here at Locked On Dolphins. But speaking of that football, which again is the best part of the entire day, the Dolphins play a football game on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. They are 10-point dogs in that one. It's at 1 o'clock Eastern at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens. 2-9 and nine Dolphins, 5-6 and six Eagles. And I continue to go back to this point, this Miami Dolphins team right now, it's going to be a tough road to hoe over these final five games. Just a couple weeks ago, we looked at the final December schedule and thought to ourselves, they might be able to rip off three wins in those five games and have a winning December. But now, given the decimation of the roster that was already very much paper thin, I just don't see how they can compete for 60 minutes in a game with anybody. The war of attrition that is the NFL just wore this team down to the nubs, and I just don't see how they bounce back. But we talk about the scheme and the offense and the players, all of this stuff available for you guys up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And with regards to the Eagles offense, Doug Peterson really, I think, was one of the pioneers of this new advancement in analytics and aggressive nature behind the way you call your plays. And I love that because I think that every team should abide by that. We saw how the Dallas Cowboys made the worst decision of the year as far as coaching decisions go by not going for the touchdown on that fourth and seven play. But even more than that, as Warren Sharp describes on his Twitter timeline, you got to put yourself in position to make it an easier fourth down, opposed to taking two shots into the end zone on second and seven and third and seven, just horrible coaching. So anytime I see a coach that plays with analytics and plays aggressively, it makes me appreciate them so much more. And even with all that, with a Super Bowl ring less than two years ago, Eagles fans are coming for Doug Peterson's head. And I'm not talking about the folks that cover the team like in depth, like we do here at Locked On Dolphins. They have more of a reasonable approach to this whole thing. But the casual fan in Philadelphia thinks that Doug Peterson is a problem and the offense has been a problem this year. And that comes two years off the heels of losing Frank Reich and John Filippo, two of the pioneers of that offense and the architects of that championship offense that season with both Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. But now Mike Groh is in position there and the offense has just never been the same. You go to the Wikipedia page for Mike Groh and the position for him on there says failure. So that tells you how Eagles fans feel about him. Which, by the way, on that topic, does any fan base like their offensive coordinator? I feel like that position's a lightning rod for criticism, and he's taking it in stride this season so far. But they've had communication issues, receivers failing to make the proper site adjustments, and that's an indictment on Grow because his job before he was OC was the wide receivers coach. So his unit is performing the worst. The Eagles offense ranks 23rd in passing. They also rank 23rd in sacks allowed, 13th in rushing, 19th in yards per rush and 18th in scoring overall. On the other side of the ball, you guys are going to recognize some of the schemes on this defense because Jim Schwartz is the pioneer of the wide nine defense, a scheme that really puts a strenuous workload on the defensive ends, as we saw here with Robert Quinn and Cam Wake and Andre Branch and all those dudes. And he does have some old school principles. One of those, the coverage scheme that I cannot stand, inverted cover two. He'll use that to try to fool the offense and we'll see if he has success. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is too smart 
hard for that to work against him. As a result, this defense, they rank 12th in passing, 5th in run defense, and 16th in scoring. As far as their advanced metrics go, they bring pressure 13th most in the NFL as their blitz percentage ranks 13th in the league. They're tied for 3rd in quarterback knockdowns, 12th in pressure rate, and 11th in sacks. They've missed 81 tackles on the year. That's 10th worst in the NFL. As far as the individual players go, we talked about Mike Grow as a lightning rod for criticism. Well, Carson Wentz sure as hell is that. The city of brotherly love already wants that guy out, at least a fraction of the fran- a fraction of the fan base, easy enough for me to say. But Wentz, his production has not returned to that 2017 level when he was on track to be the MVP, but he does have stretches where really he plays brilliant at times. This year, he's not seeing it as well, and I think the communication issue with the receivers is due in large part to the offensive struggles this year for Philadelphia. Their shortcomings are multi-layered. We talk about the receivers. Uh, Nelson Aguilar not doing a whole lot. Mac Hollins in that same category. Alshon Jeffrey's been banged up. He's their best receiver, but he has not been the same this year. And Zach Ertz is now on the injury report after not practicing on Wednesday. We'll see if he plays, but that could mean a heavier workload for Dallas Goddard, who is a great comparison to our own Mike Gesicki, who, by the way, remember when I told you guys he was coming on this season? Well, since the bye week, Gesicki is top 10 among tight ends in both receptions and yardage, so there you go with that. And he actually has Goddard beat in both those categories, so I'm excited to watch that matchup on either side of the ball. We saw the Browns get the Dolphins with several screen passes to both Kareem Hunt as well as Nick Chubb. I think Miles Sanders probably goes big in that area in this game and that'll soften the Dolphins up on the edges and then allow Jordan Howard to pound them inside with the interior run. Lane Johnson, Jason Peters both a little bit banged up. So is Brandon Brooks, but they should have all three of those guys back for this game. Those are all Pro Bowl offensive linemen for the Eagles. On the other side of the ball, it's been a down year for Fletcher Cox and that's kind of had a ripple effect on the rest of the defensive line. Vinnie Curry and Derek Barnett have just a combined five sacks on the year. Brandon Graham still getting it done, but they haven't been as good as they normally are in the pressure department. Still around the top 10 in those pressure rates, but they were normally a top five team, top five defense in that area. The GOAT, the guy they're going to go after in this game, and we're not talking about all-time greats, we're talking about scapegoats. Nathan Gary of the Eagles linebacker crew is kind of similar to Donnell Ellerby as far as Eagles fans are concerned with his performance and production. On the back end, they could use a lot more help back there. Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills, they're okay, I suppose. Avante Maddox as well, but they have several gaffes every single game that leads to big game defining plays. Just go back to that week two game against the Falcons when they blew that screen coverage against Julio Jones. I think Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki have very very favorable matchups in that regard and that's the opportunity in this game going upfield for Devontae Parker taking Mike Gesicki down the seam if they want to match him with a cornerback, a slot cornerback, or a safety to getting that Moss job in, the 50-50 ball, plucking it off the highlight reel. As far as the concerns go, I mean it's been pretty much everything but The Eagles' pass rush is good enough to really give this Dolphins' offensive line issues, especially with that wide nine alignment that can stretch them out and take advantage of the slow kick slides of both Jesse Davis and Julianne Davenport or Jamarcus Webb if they go back in that direction. And then Fletcher Cox, a big-time get-right game for him on the interior as a power bull rusher against Daniel Kilgore and whoever plays guard alongside him off the right side. Much like Cleveland in this game, I think it's a very, very right game for the Eagles to get right. They're going to get that offense cranking again. 
Pass rush is going to tee off. Dolphins get behind the eight ball early, put together a few scores in the second half to make it somewhat respectable. Eagles 37, Dolphins 21. That's the prediction. That's the game. That's the last time we'll talk about this game until Sunday on the recap show here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But it's not the last time I'm going to tell you guys about DoorDash. Long day at work, still stuck in the office. Go ahead and open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. I've not been sleeping a whole lot this week, which is odd because it's the first week in over a year where I haven't had somewhere to be every single day, meaning that I can wake up whenever the hell I damn well please. And when I lie awake at night, 95% of that time is spent thinking about content for the podcast or for the website, for Twitter, or just general ways to improve the team because that's what I've always done my entire life. I remember back in 2003, I went to the Monday night game in Miami against the Eagles and the Dolphins lost. It was the third to last game of the year and it had basically wiped them out of the playoff race altogether. I got on that plane to go back home with a notebook and I wrote down all these different ideas the Dolphins could do to improve the team because I was not ready for the offseason and football to be over with and that's how I coped. That's what I do probably an addiction at this point that needs diagnosis, but nonetheless, that got me this week thinking about mock off-season mode once again, and real quick before we do that, because I feel like this is obligatory on Thanksgiving or even a Friday podcast after Thanksgiving, the most important part of any Thanksgiving meal is the gravy. Now, I like turkey as much as anybody, but let's be honest, it's a dry meat, so you have to have the great gravy to go along with that to really pull the flavor out of the turkey. And that also coincides with the fact that mashed potatoes are the second best side of a Thanksgiving meal besides stuffing. That's number one. Honestly, I could live with those three alone. Give me a nice dinner roll and some, you know, a nice beer to go with it. And I'm happy as a clam. Green bean casserole is next. I like that a lot. And honestly, you can just keep everything else. Keep your yams, keep your pumpkin pie. I don't need it. As for the entirety of the day, here is what happens. I get to my father-in-law's house. He has a degenerative eye condition that makes his vision very, very poor, almost non-existent. Now, he can see through basically a tunnel, so he can still watch football, and the dude is super knowledgeable when it comes to football, so we just chop it up and drink vodka together. It's a great time. I even stopped by the local dispensary at my wife's request, no less, and picked up a little additional party favor for the big day. So to say that I'm excited for Thanksgiving is a massive, massive understatement. And you know what else would make me excited? This offseason that I've put together, which is what we're going to close the podcast with out tonight, my mock offseason part, what is it, 5.0 at this point? So with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. I made five key free agent offseason signings, and they're going to make more than this. They're going to round out the roster with plenty of guys from all tiers of free agency. I think top tier, middle tier, and bottom tier will be the biggest part of that free agency haul as they continue to find diamonds in the rough, scratch off tickets, and try to win that way. But I have five big signings here. I talked about the Jadavian Clowney theory on yesterday's podcast. We'll see if that holds true. I'm just kind of shooting in the wind here, but if it does, I'm going after him because he is 
is the quintessential need of this run defense to get things fixed. Don't listen to folks that say that Devon Gotcha and Christian Wilkins are not playing good against the run. Yes, they have moments where they're not that good, but it's the linebackers and edge defenders that are really the biggest weakness on this Dolphins run defense. So Clowney locks up a big, big area of weakness there and gives you pass rush and gives you a guy that can slant, twist, and stunt, condense inside and rush the passer. He is just perfect, perfect for this defense. At right guard, I brought over Brandon Scherf from the Washington football team. He's going to plug a big hole for the Dolphins there. I also signed outside linebacker Kyler Fackrell. He gives you some more pass rush and edge setting opposite Jadavian Clowney against the run. I signed former Patriot and current Titan cornerback Logan Ryan. He'll be the number two cornerback opposite Xavier Howard unless Nick Needham can beat him out. And at safety, we need that middle of the field rangy safety to go along with Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain. So I signed Tavon Wilson from Detroit. He's played in the scheme under Matt Patricia. And then in the first round of the draft, I trade back from the middle teens pick into the early 20s with Indianapolis because they want Jordan Love. So approach the draft that way. First pick in the draft, number three overall, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa from Alabama. I then get his teammate on the offensive line with that Colts pick and take a right tackle in Jedrick Willis. He is long, strong, and good enough against the pass rush and a bulldozing run blocker. I think that jives with what Miami wants to do. And then I added back to the safety group again with the 26th pick in the first round from the Houston Texans, Antoine Winfield from Minnesota. This guy is the Jonathan Abram of this year's class with better ball skills and better range. And I say that because of his temperament and his personality, not the actual skill set, but he has an alpha personality. He's an exceptional tackler. He can blitz, support the run, and he has like seven takeaways this year on the back end for that gopher defense. So we come away with Tungavailoa, Jedrick Willis, and Antoine Winfield. And then the first pick in the second round, J.K. Dobbins, the running back from Ohio State. We're going to go back to the edge again and take Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. He solidifies the edge opposite of Jadavian Clowney alongside Kyler Fackrell. In the third round, we're only getting this guy here because of his knee injury. Tackle Lucas Nyong. He's going to be the left tackle of the future here because he is super athletic. He plays right tackle in college, but we're going to convert him coming off the ACL. In the third round also, the guard Shane Lemieux from Oregon. He's going to play left guard. I think he goes higher than this, but a lot of the draft prospects and draft boards out there say that he's a second, third round guy. In the fourth round, our slot receiver Devin Duvernay runs a 4.2 out of Texas. Boom, fix that problem. In the fifth round, we got three picks here. Running back A.J. Dillon from Boston College. Defensive tackle Bravion Roy from Baylor. A massive, massive guy that has great quickness and pass rush. And then cornerback Lamar Jackson, not quarterback, cornerback Lamar Jackson. He's six foot two from Nebraska. And then another cornerback from Miami, Trajan Bandy, to help out in the slot. In the sixth round, tight end Jacob Breland from Oregon. Kamal Martin, the linebacker from Minnesota, and with a seventh round final pick, quarterback Steven Montez from Colorado. He's going to be our Taysom Hill going forward. So that gives us a lineup of this. Quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tungavailoa, and Steven Montez at tailback. J.K. Dobbins and A.J. Dillon, two rookies there, going to lead the way. Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin stay here, and so is Chandler Cox, although I'd prefer to replace him in free agency or the draft or undrafted free agency at receiver Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Alan Hearns, Devin Duvernay, and I still have Jakeem Grant on here, but I think that we'll go ahead and replace him at some point. Tight end, Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe and Jacob Breland. Offensive line, Lucas Nyong, Shane Lemieux, Michael Dieter plays center, Brandon Scherf plays right guard, and Jedrick Willis plays right tackle. So you have a big free agent signing and three rookies. Could be some growing pains, but 2021 is the ultimate approach here. Your backup linemen are Jesse Davis, Evan Bame, and Isaiah Prince. On the defensive line, Jadavian Clowney, 
Christian Wilkins, Devon Godshaw, and Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. Then you have John Jenkins, Bravian Roy, Taco Charlton, and Avery Moss as the backups. Linebacker Kyler Fackrell, Jerome Baker, and Raquan McMillan with Vince Beagle in there. Andrew Van Ginkle and Charles Harris sticks around for one more year. At cornerback, Xavier Howard, Logan Ryan, Bobby McCain, Nick Needham, Trajan Bandy, Lamar Jackson, and Chris Lamonds. At safety, Antoine Winfield, Eric Rowe, Tavon Wilson, Jamal Wiltz, and Steven Parker. That's a playoff team in 2020. That's a potential Super Bowl contender in 2021. All right, guys, that's my time for the day. That's my time for the week. Everybody out there have a good, happy, safe Thanksgiving. I'll be thinking about you all out there in Dolphins land. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you again on Sunday for a recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up and go Cougs. Beat the Huskies.